When one chooses to walk the way of the Mandalore, you are both hunter and prey. There is one job. Underworld. How uncharacteristic of one of your reputation. Is it not the code of the guild that these events are now forgotten? Welcome to Betamax Rewind. This is a little bit different. This is a television recap for the first three episodes of The Mandalorian Season 2. I'm Matt, and along with me is Doug. Hello there. And we're going to be doing this a little bit differently. This is going to be pretty much just straightforward, talking about Star Wars, The Mandalorian, and things that are Star Wars related. So we're not going to delve into some of the other stuff we normally do. But I had a question for you, Doug. Since this is the first time we've done this, do you want to just start with kind of our feelings about The Mandalorian Season 1? Or do you want to start, just for this one, with our Star Wars background? Uh, let's do a little Star Wars background, and then we can go into four, uh, the first season just a hair, and then move on into Season 2. So I've got two my two snorts of Spotska, and I'm ready to go. Okay, so uh, Star Wars, the first one, when it was just Star Wars before it was A New Hope, came out in 1977. I, I saw it in the theater a couple times. I remember seeing it in the theater, and I'm assuming you probably saw it in the theater, if not on the 77, maybe the 78, or the early 80 release. I saw 77, but I don't remember seeing it in 77, but I do remember seeing it in 80 before Empire Strikes Back came out, and I definitely remember seeing Empire Strikes Back and having a flood of memories w with going to the theater and waiting in line and missing a showing and having to wait and then seeing it. And then also the same flood of memories with going to see Jedi. Yeah. And I saw, I remember I saw Star Wars in, in Madison and I actually got the early bird toy thing which was not actually toys. It was a cardboard thing that said you would get toys when they were actually ready to come. But Star Wars was just, was just a, a game changer because it was realistic. I mean, it looked real. It didn't look fake. It wasn't, even though it was in, it was George Lucas's Flash Gordon-y type story, it was not Flash Gordon-y. It did not feel fake. It felt real. It felt lived in. And I even more so when it went into Empire. Yes. I, you took the words right out of my mouth. One of the things that's, appealing to the original trilogy i think so many people is because the environment the vehicles the clothing everything with the exception of the clean cut black and white panels with with flashing buttons and the empire side everything looked lived in and used right and then empire came out and obviously it was a phenomenon by that point and i remember waiting in line to see empire and i think i saw empire at the picks in Waukesha, believe it or not. And then okay. Jedi I saw at Scotsland Cinemas, the Cinemas of Sound. Okay, I saw Empire Strikes Back at a theater on Highway 100. I can't, couldn't tell you the name, name of the theater, but then I also saw Jedi at Scotland Cinema as well. Sprite, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The um, uh, Snack Canyon clip that we, we played on one of the earlier podcasts. And then, you know, Star Wars basically goes away. Uh, for, it, with the exception of, you know, there was a couple TV movies, there was the Ewok ones, and then there were the expanded universe novels. Um, Heir to the Empire is the most prominent one, and I actually have a copy of Heir to the Empire that I got from you. That's the Timothy Zahn? Yes. 
Okay. The the that one was that one was okay. Shadow of the Empire, uh, was far superior novel, and none of this is canon anymore, which is right. crazy, you know. And and Shadow of the Empire, Shadows of the Empire, I can't remember which one it is, is actually the the thing that kind of kept Star Wars alive between Jedi and when the prequels came out, and that is in the form of video games because yeah. it existed in video game form pretty much consistently throughout that time frame, whether it be things for the PC or things for Nintendo or even our arcade games. But then the special editions came out and special editions came out right around the time that I was moving to Ohio. And then the prequels came out and we can just talk to the to prequels as a, a whole one unit. And the prequels, I saw all of the prequels at midnight showings, the last of which I saw at a midnight showing the night before, no, it's actually two days before your wedding, and then I saw it with you the day before your wedding. Correct. Yes. And you are not a big prequel fan. You know, it's there's a little bit of nostalgia that goes with the prequels. There's some good things with the prequels, just like the you know the sequel trilogy. There's some good things and there's some bad things, and you know, with anything, you take the good, you take the bad. Take them both, and there you have Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. That's how it goes, right? But yeah, you know, the the thing that I think is interesting is the star the Star Wars prequels, uh, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith actually have aged well, not because of themselves, but because of the sequel trilogy. And you know, the sequel trilogy kind of came out of the gate with with a bang with The Force Awakens, and a lot of people loved it, and. A lot of people recognize that it was very close to a beat-for-beat remake of the first Star Wars, and some people that didn't bother, and some people did. I thought it was okay. I, I didn't think it was great, and then then things started going a little bit off the rails. Yeah, I see. I like the Force Awakens. I was never in love with it. Um, it's full of fan service, and I like fan service because a I'm a fan, and b I like to be serviced. So. <laughs> You know, there were some great new characters. It was good seeing the old characters, although you, you kind of felt sorry for Harrison Ford a little bit because he's old, very old. Yeah, but I mean, he he got a you know a, a dump truck full of money mm-hmm. to basically walk through a film, right. and the, it was done really well. Harrison Ford got what he wanted. He got he got killed, and then the Last Jedi came out. I actually no, I think Rogue One came out before Last Jedi, right? Yes, which Rogue One was amazing. That's, Rogue, that's that's my second favorite Star Wars film. The thing about Rogue One to me is everybody's favorite scene in Rogue One is the scene that I dislike the most about that movie, which is Vader's rampage. Oh, see, that is not my favorite scene. My favorite scene is when the Rebel fleet comes out of hyperspace. Mm-hmm. And, Over Scarif. Yeah, and it's just that whole sequence, the whole the ground bot battle... The, the space battle, everything that's going on. There's three parts, just like in Jedi uh, at the end of the movie. There's there's three individual parts that are going on throughout that third act, and it just all comes together amazingly. And the, the Vader part is not bad. I enjoyed that. Um, but I think it flows pretty well from that to A New Hope. Right. And did you feel bad for Red 5? No. <laughs> 
You know, it's like, this guy's not making it out of this. No, of course not. Too bad we don't have the family guy cliff. Red Fox reporting <laughs> yeah. in. Yeah. Simply Red reporting in. <laughs> and then we go to, um, which is probably the most polarizing of, of the Star Wars films, the, the Last Jedi. And there are, again, things that I liked about that film and things that I disliked about that film. Things that were unnecessary, things that... The problem with that J.J. Abrams left Ryan Johnson, or some people refer to him as Ruin Johnson, mm -hmm. is basically just left him a blank check and said, do whatever. I don't think there was a plan from Disney and Kathleen Kennedy to say, this is the direction that we want to go in. We trust you. You take it how you want to take it. And for three years, there was, who's raised parents? Uh, what about Finn? You know, all these questions, all the, the fanboys going, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And Ryan Johnson turned into the world's biggest troll when he made that film. Right. And I think it, it, it's kind of funny where, you know, the game, I don't know if you call it a game, but it's a thing you did in probably like elementary school or maybe middle school where it's a storytelling thing. It's called telephone. Yes. And, you know, one person tells the first part of the story and then they each each subsequent person adds on to that story. And the the thing that always happens is the narrative changes drastically from the beginning to the end. It and goes from I'm eating a bowl of popcorn to I shoved a stalk of asparagus up my nose. OK, not the example I've gone with. But, yeah, that okay. just very much it, it loses the thread of the narrative. And you're exactly right is one of the big things that I think that was a misstep with. The way that Disney and Lucasfilm under Kathleen Kennedy handled Star Wars once it became a Disney property is they did not have a plan. And I am not a huge comic book guy like you are. Um, I respect what was done with the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, how they had this huge overarching thing over something like 20 films. 22 films. Just just ridiculous. And how it all kind of... But they had a guy. Um, it was Feig, right? Yes. That was the person who was overseeing all this. And you're exactly right. It was, okay, J.J. Abrams, you do your thing. And then Rian Johnson, or however you pronounce his name, you, you do your thing. And then it was supposed to be Colin Trevorrow, who did uh, some of the Jurassic World movies, was supposed to do part nine. And he left or was kicked out or whatever. And then it went back to J.J. Abrams. But, and we'll get to uh, the Rise of Skywalker in just a second. But after kind of the fallout of The Last Jedi, we had the second of the expanded universe movies with Solo. And what did you think of Solo? When I first saw it, I was, eh. And then after my second and third viewing, uh, I warmed up to it a little bit more. I, I, I think that Solo is the best of the Disney Star Wars films. I think it is the least necessary of the, the Disney Star Wars films. But I like it the most of them. Um, the only thing that I really did not like about Solo is one of the things that a lot of people who hated Solo liked about it. And that is uh, Phoebe Waller-Cates' role in Who's Solo. That? She plays the voice of oh, the sex yeah. bot. Yeah. And I don't know if you've seen Fleabag or any of her stuff. No, it, I have it, not. It is, you know, she won like every award in the world for it and stuff. And it's it's okay, but it's nothing special. But I, I, I thought that Solo was entertaining. And then after Solo's over, we get the first season of Mandalorian. And at that point, Star Wars was kind of at, in a lot of ways, a low point. 
And I think that that helped Mandalorian in a lot of ways because the the key to happiness is low expectations. And, you know, it's a it's a Star Wars property. Star Wars is kind of on a downswing right now, plus it's a TV show. And I think it was way better than anybody expected it to be. Well, the thing with The Mandalorian is it is one of the most unique things out there on television or streaming. Uh, they do a fantastic job of being tight-lipped and not showing previews to the following week's episode. So when you wake up on Friday morning and you hit play on the Disney app, you have no idea where it's going to take you, what characters you're going to see, how the story is going to evolve, and it's a blast. It's an absolute blast. There, in, in the history of the Star Wars experience, there are three, at least for me, what-the-fuck moments or just jaw-dropping moments for me. And the the first, the last one, the most recent one, was at the end of the first episode of The Mandalorian when the child is revealed. Because the fact that nobody saw that coming, nobody sure. knew what it was, that blew me away. Can you guess what the other two were? One of them's obvious. Well, you know, Vader announcing to Luke that he's his father. Yeah, that's, that's the obvious one, yep. Okay, and then the third one? Oh, like in a good way that you were surprised or a bad way? In a good way. I, I, uh, I mean, I was just floored. And, and I'll give you a hint to this. The first time I saw it, I saw it by myself. And the second time I saw it, I saw it with my kids. So that, that narrows it down a little bit. And when they, oh, when they uh, did... Oh, Darth Maul at the end of Solo? Oh, yeah. That okay. just floored me. I, I was just mouth agape and watching um, – I have two kids. One is much more into Star Wars than, than the other, and I watched him, and just the expression on his face was he – I mean, he almost said, what the fuck? Uh-huh. It, it was – and I just thought that was really, really cool. Sure. So um, then we get to uh, Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker, I I don't even know how to feel about it because I think that – I think it's a film that just was put out, but it was never actually finished. See, there's parts of Rise of Skywalker and The Last Jedi that both gave me chills and both evoked emotional feelings in a good way. Um, so, I, in my opinion, both of those films worked for me. Again, mm-hmm. there, were, there were parts of them that I did not care for. But the fact that I, you know, shed a couple of tears during both of those movies means that you're a pussy. The, 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 yeah, I'm a big pussy. <laughs> the job was well done. No, it's you know there they the rise of Skywalker. It had a you're all clear, kid. Let's blow this thing and go home moment, which surprised me because I at that point I was so checked out from that film that I did not think it would be able to do that. And that's when Lando shows up with the fleet. Mm-hmm. And you know there is something that was really cool but also as we get into the mandalorian one of the things that i kind of have a problem with what star wars does is you know the fact that wedge was there i thought was really cool yes so and he, had, um, he had originally said uh that he did not want to be in any of the sequel trilogy but you know it sucked that he was only in there for what 3 seconds 4 seconds not just if the fact that. that they they got him was yeah. amazing so um and then one last thing, and then we'll actually get, delve a little bit into the first season of Mandalorian. And when we do episodes four through six, you know, we won't have to do this whole part. But um, 
now I totally lost what the fuck I was thinking of. <laughs> you can do it. No, well, can I can I just make a comment? Go ahead. When you're talking Star Wars, you seem way more serious and much more subdued. Like I'm just I'm on a cooler plane now, man. <laughs> I'm talking Star Wars. Come on, man, be a geek. Let's talk Star Wars. I'm invested. I mean it. I mean I, my my. I, I remember. I can't remember the specifics of it, but sometime in I think it was an online argument I was in because you know mature people get into those. Yes. And somebody was arguing my. Um, I think it was a thing where I was criticizing The Last Jedi or Rise of Skywalker, and somebody pulled out the the real fans card, mm-hmm. and I, I, I'm like, okay, jackass, if you saw my basement, you saw my full-size hand Solo and Carbonite, you saw my um, you know, machine-milled lightsaber hilts, you saw all of the Star Wars shit I have, I, I will put my Star Wars fan cred up there with, with, with anybody, and I, I don't feel... I, I don't feel bad about that. I don't, I don't feel that that is something that, you know, I, I can't stand toe-to-toe with somebody on. Sure. Yeah. But l- let's talk about The Mandalorian in the the first season. And the first season is basically, in a nutshell, you have a bounty hunter. He has a job. His job is to deliver the kid. And then he lives by a code. And he goes kind of back on his word or he breaks his code because he steals the child and the rest of the first season is him trying to hide the child from the people that want the child. Well, he has two codes that he's, he follows the code of the bounty hunter guild. And then he also find follows the guild, the, the code of the Mandalorian. So he's, he's balancing a, a fine line, so to speak. And now I remember what the other thing I wanted to talk about real briefly is it's something you mentioned, and that's fan service. And with Star Wars, one of the problems that I have, and it, it came up in, especially in The Force Awakens, is it was a lot of, hey, I remember that. Hey, sure. I remember that. And that is the one major critique I have of um, The Mandalorian through the 11 episodes so far, is it seems to be kind of skirting really close to just being a nostalgia show instead of a show that stands on its own. See, I disagree with you there because we are we are viewing The Mandalorian as part of the greater Star Wars universe. So you're going to have blasters that are the same throughout the universe. You're going to have sounds. You're going to have equipment. You're going to have uh, ships and sounds of those engines and, and everything else. With The Force Awakens... That was definitely fan service where it was. They were digging through the belly of the Millennium Falcon and Finn holds up the little training. Training remote, yeah. Yeah, that was completely unnecessary. Whereas everything in the Mandalorian has a purpose. Even the, what what are Jabba's little monkeys? Jabba's little monkey, salacious crumb. What's the name of that species? Oh, I can't remember what, yeah. But when they're cooking one, (laughs) yeah. And they're showing the other one in the cage. I don't believe that that was fan service. I was that was you are seeing the, the broader stroke of this universe across your screen. Yeah, I, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about when they show someone from Salacious Crumb's race or mm-hmm. whatever it is. It it'd be if they showed Salacious Crumb specifically. Sure. And they have done some of that. And anything specific, any highlights or anything that you want to talk about specifically about season one no let's just keep on going man we're just riffing okay so we we start with 
the second season and what is the drive? What is the narrative thrust? What is the goal of season two for The Mandalorian? Well, he is, as it was explained by the armor in the first season, uh, he's not aware of what Jedi are until she explains it to him. And she explains that at one time that the Mandalorians fought these, and I'm doing finger quotes, wizards. So she thought it was necessary that he find other Mandalorians that can lead him to the Jedi, that he can deposit this child with them. At first, when I finished watching the first season, and she said, you need, you need to get him to his own kind, I was actually thinking that she was meaning that he needs to, she need they need to find this, the Yoda species. That honestly, until the third episode, that's what I thought it was too. <laughs> yeah, uh, but that, as it turns out, no, he's looking for Mandalorians to lead him to the Jedi. And I, how familiar familiar are you with um, the stuff that happens in Rebels a little bit, but more so in the Clone Wars cartoons? A little bit, a little bit. I can hold my own. Um, but not as well-versed as, say, original trilogy or even prequel trilogy. But, I mean, I would think right now it's five years after Return of the Jedi, four years after the Battle of Jakku. Does Luke have his Jedi temp- temple up and running yet? Yes. he. he I believe so because, okay. I, you know, spoiler alert, one of the things that is a possibility is that Luke will show up on this show. Okay. So if if he shows up on this show, that means that it has to be before he goes off to. Um, oh God, how could I not remember? It's on Michael Ireland. Skelling. Yeah, I, Ireland before Luke goes to Ireland. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the child, how old is the child? Fifty years old. Fifty years old. Now I, I get it. Some species live longer than others, um, but I would think that the maturity process would. He seems very infantile for a 50-year-old. Sure, um, but I guess that's just the way that that species age. They even even IG-8, IG-11 at the end of uh, episode one, season one, says species age differently. Okay. So, but in in the very first episode, he is kind of walking through this this town, kind of a a darkened town, and. One of the things that always kind of confused me a little bit about the way that the show is presented is the Yoda creature or the 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 child, because it's not baby Yoda, but the, the, the child is kind of a unique creature, i.e., you know, in, in this fantastical universe where all these different species exist, you know, there, Yoda is or was a unicorn because there was only... To date, there had only been two of his species ever shown. Yoda, and do you know what the other one was? Yaddle. Okay, yeah, exactly right. Which I believe yeah. was a female, which she was in episode one, mm-hmm. but and that was it. You never saw her again. Yeah, um, her and Yoda had a falling out, so he he got her sent off to um, Hoth as punishment. So Sure, sure. But the first, you know, when I saw the, the, the title card of this episode come up, the, the Marshal... I had some I had some background knowledge as to who the marshal was, so right away I knew what we were going to see in this episode. And we should probably tell anybody who's listening Spoiler from alert. this point on <laughs> a ton of spoilers. There is a clear order to listen to this podcast. Listen, watch episodes 
or uh, chapters 9, 10, and 11 of The Mandalorian before we go any farther on this podcast. Yeah, because anything beyond this will be definitely, and we've already had some minor spoilers, but anything beyond this will definitely be major sure. spoilers. So are you familiar with the comic book Lone Wolf and Cub? I've heard of it, but that's it. It's a Japanese story, and it's very you know Western-like, where there is a samurai, and he's the lone wolf, and the cub is a little baby. I, I'm not very familiar with it. I just I know the background somewhat, but it always takes me to that that this is lone wolf and cub, and and the Mandalorian, especially this episode, has a very Western feel. Yeah, and it is actually that. Uh, Lone Wolf and Cub was actually done, it was Americanized and done as a regular television series a while ago. I was I was not familiar with that. Yeah, it was, it was called, uh, no, live action. Okay. It's called uh, Jake and the Fat Man. No, it's not. I can bring lies <laughs> to this podcast. Too. Yes, you can. You shouldn't, though. This is Star Wars. Don't lie to me about Star Wars, because... You did lie to me in the last episode, by the way. The I, I, I I didn't lie to you, and it was about Star Wars. I was wrong. Yes, um, you were. But it wasn't a lie. I was actually, I went and checked, and I was I was shocked that I was wrong. Yeah. So, what do you, what? How do you feel when Baby Yoda? Because that's how I that's why I refer to him, and we all refer to him as Baby Yoda in this house. Makes his cooing noises and his little squeals and his laughs and his cries. Is that is that cute to you? Eh, you know. I, it's it's more when it is otherworldly, when it is very distinctly like a child noise, and that comes up in the the second episode of of the ones that we're talking about, where it is very obviously like a a a baby and a, a human infant. I, I find that less. I like it more in the look and the sounds that are not identifiable or attributable to a human. Being okay. cute, but when it is what I would say is just a ba- uh, human baby noise, not as much. Okay. So, yeah. So, he's walking through this town, and there's all these red eyes, uh, and you can hear growling. Obviously, these are some sort of wolf or creature that cannot be in the light. But he needs to see Gore Koresh at these fights. And who's fighting? A couple of Gamorrean guards. But did you see the, yes. the graffiti that was on the walls? Yes. And there's a stormtrooper. There's one that looked like C-3PO. And a Grievous. Oh, I didn't see that. It, I mean, that's what I saw. Maybe it, it wasn't actually intentionally there, but there was obviously a stormtrooper and a, and a 3PO, so maybe not a 3PO, but a protocol droid. And okay. then what I saw as a Grievous, just because of the three lines that kind of come down where Grievous's mouth, finger quotes, would be. All right. But yeah, so he goes and he sees Gore Koresh. And he tells Gorkoresh that he needs to find some other Mandalorians. And Gorkoresh is like, no, watch the fights. We're not going to talk business until the fights are over. Uh, but then there's this great action sequence where basically Gorkoresh tells him, you know, I'm taking your, your armor. Yeah. And that is a, an ongoing thing is that the his armor is made of a very specific metal. Beskar. Beskar. And it's very, very valuable. And... It is. It's not so much the armor as it is the the value of what the armor is made of, and the armor is actually something that I have a problem with in this series because the armor makes him almost invincible, and it has almost like a Superman type problem where he is not vulnerable to certain things, which makes it harder to be worried about him. 
Because he gets also, shot how many times? Oh, plenty of times, especially in the latest episode. Another thing, too, is he's got all these fantastic weapons, and there's so many times that you're thinking, okay, dude, you need to use the Whistling Birds, you need to use the Flamethrower, you need to use X, Y, or Z, and he doesn't. So I like that, that he doesn't always take the easy way out, and the show does it as well. Yeah, the little seeker things that he uses in the scene that he used in, in one episode of mm-hmm. the first season, that's a little too overpowering. But I did, yeah. in this scene, Um, what was the, the the main guy's name, the guy he's talking to? Gore Koresh, who's played by John Leguizamo. And I should say that this episode is directed by, um, oh God. It's Favreau? Favreau, yeah. This is a Favreau-directed um, episode. I think he wrote all three of them. But yeah, he write he writes all of the episodes. Okay, but him I just Dave, thought him and Dave Filoni. Do. I thought it was good to see that the the giant from Krull is still getting work. <laughs> still getting work. Yeah, and it was a, it was it was not the best effect. Honestly, it wasn't Krull level. But there's been a couple things in in this second season where the effects have been a little dodgy, and. This specifically, the the one eyed giant, I thought had was a little bit dodgy in that effect. That wasn't bad. I was but, convinced. But there's the big fight, and then the guy from Crawl runs away, and Mando runs after him. But also, what did you think of the battle axe fight between the Gamorreans? So there's something, and I read something about this after this episode came out, and I can't remember what it's called, but it's they're not meant to cut or strike. It's it was okay, um, but it's they're like they're like energy weapons. Yeah, it, it seemed weird, and honestly, the heads seemed too big for the bodies on on those guards. That was another thing where it, it's almost they almost look like bobbleheads. Because if you look, if you remember the original ones that were guards at, at Jabba's palace, they were portly fellows that... Well, that's because they're guards and they don't do anything. They just hang out. Whereas it was explained that, not in the series, but in an article that I read, that they're athletes. So their bodies are going to be a little bit more tuned up. So, But yeah, I the, the guy runs out and Mando runs out after him. And he, he basically... He strings, he strings him up. up. He strings him up like Batman. And I was waiting for Mando to go, Where are they? <laughs> I don't know. I can't even do it. I was going to do a, a Bane thing. And well, Mr. Well, Mr. Wayne, you're going to have to look for better ways and trust. The, um, the, the, the promise that the guy makes Mando make to him is that he will tell him where he can find a Mandalorian if he, if he won't kill him. And... You know, he has him strung up. He tells him that he has to go to Tatooine, which, once again, small universe. And he, and to his word, Mandalorian does not kill this guy, but he, he, he leaves him to die. He shoots out the light for these wolf-like creatures then to come into the shadows and eat this guy. So this is, I believe, this is the last we're going to see of, of Gore Koresh. But, so, boom now that the Mandalorian, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Do, 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 do. So now we're on Tatooine, and he's, you know, coming across the Dune Sea, and we see a Tusken Raider with his bantha, and hey, there's the Tusken Raider and the bantha from the trailer. All right, cool. Oh, this is a very heavy Tusken Raider episode. <laughs> yeah, it is, and the the weird thing that it does is it it, it, it humanizes 
the um, the Tuscan Raiders. It yeah. In but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But he comes back to the to the the launch launch pad uh, that he was in the previous season, and we're reintroduced to Peli Mono, and who's she's a great character. I absolutely love her, and yeah. she holds back the droids, the little the little bonk droids that were pit droids. episode one pit droids, uh, and he's like, no, that's okay. The the crest could use a once over, and the one gets its head stuck in a vacuum cleaner, which was cute. <laughs> and she sees she sees baby Yoda, and what does she say? I could just eat you or something like that. No, she goes thank the force. Oh, so obviously yeah. there is still some knowledge of thank you know the force. People may not know what it is, but it's still in their vernacular. And she refers to him as a little womp rat, and she wants him. But she's like, oh, I'm kidding. But if he ever buds or reproduces, I want one. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Did you notice the um, the the droid that was there? Not R five. Uh, yeah, that is the R five. Well, yeah, because it's got the burn on its head. And did you hear the joke that she made? She's like, yeah. she, she's like, oh, just take your time. Yeah, but <laughs> he's got take, a busted motivator. Yeah, he's got a busted motivator. Yeah, uh, but she says, you know. Mando tells her that he's trying to hook up Baby Yoda with others of his kind, and she says, uh, "I haven't seen anything like it. Trust me, I've seen all shapes and sizes in this town." Oh, really? Have you? Yeah, she gets around, and she, yeah. th- this is Amy Sedaris. Yes, and she's probably best known for um, "Strangers with Candy." Uh, see, I, I've looked her up. I have not seen anything else that she's been in. She is somebody that a lot of the people online have ranted and raved about because they love her so much and how, okay. how great she is. I, I think she's a good character, but her as an actress, I think she's passable, but that's about it. But he needs a speeder bike. And she says, yeah, I still got it. It's a little rusted. Well, why would a speeder bike get rusted in the desert? I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe she parked it next to like the, the moisture. moisture yeah, exactly. Yeah, but they're, they're, he's, he's cruising across the dune scene. And the great thing about the Mandalorian, whereas... The problems that J.J. Abrams have. What's your problem with J.J. Abrams and time and space? Oh, he, he has absolutely no concept of time and space. Yeah. This it's like show, you can get from one part of the universe to the other part of the universe in three seconds. Yeah, but he has to, he has to get to um, Moss Pelgo, which may or may not be there. But he's cruising across the Dune Sea on his uh, speeder bike, and Baby Yoda is just having a gay old time. What, what did uh, the way that... Uh, the, the child is is cruising. What did did that remind you of anything? The ears flapping. Yeah, yeah. No, I show Jerry. No, <laughs> no, it reminded me of like a dog in a car oh, with sure. its head out the window. Yeah, just you know, just love and life, and just in the breeze. And I also thought it's like this is probably not the the safest. There's a lot of things where the safety of of the child is not. <laughs> He should have like he needs like a pair of goggles so he doesn't get any sand or pebbles in the eye. Yeah, I mean you've ridden on a motorcycle before, and if you do not have sunglasses or a helmet with a, a shield or something, you cannot see anything. No. And that's Certainly in a not. sand-free environment where you know Tatooine is you know there's sand it gets in, gets everywhere it's uncomfortable. It, it, I hate sand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he sees he so you know you can tell that this. Again, with the idea of time and space, it's taking him a good two days to get to Mos Pelgo. 
because right. it shows him eating dinner by the fire with some Tuscan Raiders. And that's how I'm going to refer to them throughout this podcast is Tuscan Raiders, not sand people. Um, yes, but he slowly, he slowly rolls in to Moss Pelgo, almost like an outlaw coming into town on his horse and go, coming in very, very slowly. And all the townsfolk are looking at him kind of like, who's this guy? But at the same time, they're like, hey, he kind of looks familiar a little bit. Right. He goes into the tavern, and uh, you're thinking, well, where's Baby Yoda? Well, he obviously let himself out of a little side, you know, saddlebag, and he comes waddling into the tavern, and he talks to the barkeep, and he says, you know, I'm looking for Mandalorian. And the barkeep is like, what's a Mandalorian? And he goes, someone that looks like me. Oh, you mean the marshal? Yeah, who's the marshal? Well, you can ask him. He's right there. And ba-boom! There is somebody wearing Boba Fett's armor, but it is clearly not Boba Fett. Yeah, it was when I, I didn't know the backstory to this. Okay. And when I first saw this, it, I should have known right away because it, it wasn't right. It mm-hmm. didn't have the right look. It's like the, the armor was a little bit ill-fitting and the stuff he had underneath the plating was not right. Oh, and, his red Christmas sweater? Yeah. <laughs> and did you recognize the, the bartender? He was he was um, the dude in uh, well he played opposite Timothy Oliphant in Deadwood. Big Dan. No 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 I'm talking about not the actor I'm talking about the character that was the bartender. No. He is on the skiff and he is the one that is going to push Luke into the pit. Well I don't think that's him. I, I think at think one point they actually say his name. They do say his name on the show, yes. So we'll have it's to like Klaatu or something like that. I don't know. I, I think I could same, be wrong. I'm not. I'm not promising. Spe- same species, and we'll see that in a couple of episodes. That uh, one planet that they go to, yeah, there's lots of the same species. All and, over yeah, the place. and and this guy's a little bit more well fed than the guy that was in Return of the he Jedi, <laughs> even if he it is. is the same guy. Yeah. So he, you know, this is the Marshal Cobbanth, and if you watch. With subtitles, a lot of times you get introduced to their names or who they are before they're announced. Okay. That, that makes so, sense because it says who it is that's saying it. Yes. And he's wearing Boba Fett's Beskar armor. And he says, it's not Beskar. It's Beskar. No, it's not. Not all, yeah, cool. not all Mandalorian armor is Beskar. It is Mandalorian armor, but it is not Beskar. Okay. Well, because it would be worth a hell of a lot more if it was Beskar. Okay. Well, I... We may, I may have to take a look into that because you know for sure that Boba Fett's armor is not Beskar. I do not know for sure, but I, okay. I am, I am pretty certain. Okay. Just like I'm, I was pretty certain that Chris McQuarrie was Ralph McQuarrie's son, but that's another right. story. Yeah. So he says he's Cobb Vanth and he's the marshal of these parts, and he orders two snorts of Spotska, and he sits down and he takes his helmet off, and immediately Mando is like, "Hold on a second, you're not Mandalorian. Where did you get that armor?" And we're introduced that this is Timothy Oliphant, who is perfect for this character. Well, I mean, it is he's playing a very similar role that he's played before. Yes, which and is I've, why he's perfect for this character. And I, of course, am referring to the role he played in Live Free or Die Hard. <laughs> right. See, I, I've never seen... Um, what's the show that he was on, FX, for... Oh, um, Sons of Anarchy? No, not Sons of Anarchy. It's where he's a sheriff and the dude from The Shield... Walter, whatever his name is, is in that show also. Um, but it, it, from what I've heard, it's a great show. But you can't you you have 
to get it anywhere, you have to pay for it. You're not um, talking about Deadwood because that's HBO. No, it's not Deadwood. It's not Deadwood. It's it's it, it was an FX show. Okay. Um, and people who are listening to this podcast right now are screaming it at their speakers or their device. Okay. But where did he get the armor from? He says he bought it off some Jawas. Oh, dee dee. <laughs> oh, dee dee. Yeah, yeah. And, and Mando wants him to take it off. And uh, Cobb Banth is basically saying, you know, I kind of figured that only one of us was going to walk out of here until I saw your little fella over there. And, and Baby Yoda's hiding behind a spittoon. Is he hiding or doesn't he get into it? He gets into it when the Craig Dragon rolls through town. Okay. But yeah. th- they're basically going to have a, a, a gunfight. And as you mentioned before, this this whole series, no matter where it happens to be, has a very Western theme. And that is true in the music as well as just the way that it is portrayed. Right. The guy who does the music, Ludwig... Um, Beethoven? Yes, Beethoven. Uh, he does an amazing job composing for the show. And he, he picks very many different styles for different scenes. Uh, and that's one thing that makes this show and this episode amazing. But yeah, there's there's about to be a showdown in the bar. They're basically staring each other down. They're about to draw pistols. And there's this rumbling. And Cobb Banth just kind of puts up his finger and he's like, just hold on one second. Hold on one second. And you see, you hear the rumbling and you see the sand moving and you hear the same exact sound. Well, not originally the same sound, but the sound that's there now that Obi-Wan was making to scare away the Tusken Raiders in New Hope. Right. And did this remind you of any other movie or movie series? No. Have you ever seen Tremors? Yes. Okay. Tremors. Yeah. Yes. It, it kind of gave me a little bit of a Tremors feel with the way okay. that, you know, the kind of the moving of the sand. Yes. But it comes up and eats a bantha. Yeah. And when was the first time that we saw any part of a crate dragon? At A New Hope. We saw the skeleton that Obi- uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 were going, or just C-3PO was walking past. Exactly right. Exactly right. But it was much smaller. Than right. This. That was a baby. That was not an that adult. That was a baby. Yeah. There's uh, actually a robot chicken uh, scene or, or short that is the crate dragon, baby crate dragon is leaving home and his mother's like, don't get lost. And he's like, don't worry about it, mom. I'm not going to get lost. And it turns out to be that one that dies in the desert. <laughs> nice. But they strike a deal that uh, if Mando helps uh, uh, Oliphant kill the crate dragon, that he'll give him Boba Fett's armor and he knows where it lives. Yeah. And do you think um, the marshal was justified to not just give the armor up. Absolutely, he was justified to not give it up. It's he he bought it. It's what's been keeping his town safe. He doesn't he doesn't have a whole lot of history or knowledge about the Mandalorians and why it would be important to the Mandalorians. So, so you're saying his his motivation is justified? Yes. Okay, it, it's just important to, for us to establish that he's justified. Oh, justified! There it is. <laughs> <laughs> you, you. But uh, Mando has an idea. It's like he will just go back and he will get um, his ship, the Razor Crest, and he'll just blast it out of the sky. And we are told that the the crate dragon will not come out if if it hears a ship. Yeah, he'll sense the tremors. 
So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and you go. They, the two of them go out to basically where the crate dragon sleeps. And I, I love the fact that the the speeder that the marshal has is based on what? A pod racer. Yeah, it's a, is it's that, a pod is racing that engine. An, is that Anakin's? Uh, I actually looked at looked that up as far as like comparing them. If it is, it it has been diff, it has been modified. So sure. probably not. It is it is a similar, but the the fins are different. Okay. So while they are riding uh, to where the dragon lives. Cobb Vanth is basically giving him a history of what happened in Mos, Mos Pelgo. That as soon as the second Death Star, and he he says that, he goes, when the Death Star blew up, the second, the second one, one, and they have this great hologram where they're just showing it over and over and over again. As soon as that happened and the Empire was forced off Tatooine, basically, power loves a vacuum. And the Mining Guild moved in and basically brought slavery back to Tatooine. How could they be talking, though? As they're riding. Yeah. Well, but uh, what's their face? Um, Mando and uh, who was the bounty hunter from the previous season? They were going to find, or they're trying to get Fennec Shan. I can't remember what his name was, but he was a very unlikable character. They were talking while they were on speeder bikes. Yeah. It, it just kind of, I, I thought it's like, that's that's a thing that is, I understand why they did it, but it, mm-hmm. it just was a little pro- problematic. Um realism wise and the sure. other thing is it, it, and maybe this wasn't true as much in the later star wars so like in the original trilogy but definitely in the prequel tr- trilogy it is explicitly mentioned that the republic doesn't have any kind of presence in the outer rim correct now, one thing, you know, even though the Empire were a bunch of assholes and, and murdered people senselessly, hold the galaxy together with order. I mean, tat- slavery on Tatooine was a thing of the past once the Empire moved in. But as soon as, just like I said before, po- you know, power loves a vacuum. And yeah. And we've seen that in, in real life in, in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. Sure. You know, and because... It is you have somebody a terrible presence that is controlling things, whether it be a mob boss or Saddam Hussein, and when or they're the Russians, yeah, communism in Russia, or yeah, ISIS moving in, absolutely. and then yeah, and then it just becomes organized crime or whatever. And one of the things I noticed a lot in this season, and maybe it's in the first season as well, is the colloquialisms in the Star Wars vein, like sunshines on a womp rat's tail. And, um, yes, or thank the force. Yeah, that, that that weighed on me a little bit. But uh, the guy is telling the story of of how he got his armor, and when as soon as the second Death Star blew up, these they they they, they weren't minor. Was it, it was okay? It was the mining guild it, it came in, guild. and him and the fat bartender escape, and he steals something off of like the ship that the mining guild rolled into town and it happened to be a, and here's an actually a kind of a cool callback, but he steals something that's full of these valuable crystals. But did you recognize the thing that he stole? Oh, that's, um, it's, it was in the first season also that it, that's what the Beskar was in the the first season. (laughs) Yes. Now why, uh, why can't I remember what it's called? 
because um, he even says what it's called. Yeah, but, but it's I just it's got these special crystals in it. No, I just thought it was funny because it's I, I the guy has a name and he's got this huge backstory and he's in literally one shot of the Empire Strikes Back. It's it's the guy who's running with the ice cream maker, and it's yeah, a, it's the same thing. To, if you go if you go to like comic cons, there's a bu- there's a group of guys that all dress up like him. There's like twelve of them. Yeah, and go to all these different comic cons and have their pictures taken together. Yeah, it, it's a huge but, yeah, thing. So he so he gets he's dying desert. The Jawas pick him up. They find this Camtaro, um, or Camtaro, 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 something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and, oh, and the dude from season one, his last name was Calican. Um, That's Toros, a me- measure of distance in Star Trek. Calican. Anyway, yeah, it's like the guy that they he 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 teamed up with Mando to find Fennec Shan. Um, But anyways, so the Jawas want these crystals, uh, and Mando's you know not Mando, Cobb Vamp says I'll take that armor, and it turns out to be Boba Fett's armor, and he puts it on, and he goes into town, and he cleans it up. He cleans up the 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 uh, miners' group mining guild. And the best part about it is we finally get to see in live action little thing come down and he bends over and launches a rocket and blows up the rest of them as they're trying to leave on a speeder. Yeah. Where does he get the replacement rocket? I was curious about that because, yeah, he uses it a couple of times. And one of the things that I did like that has come up a couple times in this season is they show like the POV of what it looks like inside the helmet of whether it be the Marshall or the Mandalorian, where it shows kind of what they see. And I love the fact yes. that it is not crystal clear. It is not perfect. I think that's pretty cool. Right. But I also think he can he can switch between different, just like the Predator can. Okay. But, so, but uh, yeah, they, they come through this canyon and some big dogs come out and... It is awesome that Mando speaks Tuscan Raider dog. <laughs> and I, I love how he, and I would have loved to have seen the the way that they actually did this. If they did this with like a dog and then they just CG'd it over. Or if the guy that was playing it actually just was like air petting this dog. I would love to see how that was done. But it is very much a, a dog thing with um, these Tuscan Raider dogs. And they go back to the Tuscan Raider camp and they have... The same kind of huts that they had in Attack of the Clones. Yes. I hate them. I hate them all. Yeah. And none of them get decapitated here. <laughs> but Mando no, is, is trying children, to keep the peace. The, wife, the women. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anakin was they not. Give, they give. They, they... Yeah. Go ahead. It, well, it turns out the Tuscan Raiders. You there? Yeah, I'm here. You can't hear me? Oh, okay. It, I can hear you. Okay. It, it turns out that the Tusken Raiders want to kill the Kray Dragon as well. And they have some sort of rotten fruit and push their thumbs in it. And a little bit of like dust comes up and they give it to Cobb Vamp. And he's like, what am I supposed to do with this? And Mando's like, well, you're supposed to drink it. I don't want to drink it. It smells horrible. It, it's kind of the same thing with... Um, Indiana Jones and yeah, Temple of Doom. There's more food than these people get in, yes. in a week. Yeah, with uh, right. Willie. And did yes. did that thing that it, it looked almost like the size of an apple, and he presses his thumb into it, and kind of like this of yeah, right. What did that remind you of anything in real life? 
No. There are these little things, and they're probably about the size of an acorn, and they're kind of smushy, but you, if you'd step oh, on them. puff balls. Yeah, puff the, balls. Like puff, yes. Okay. It, it, yes. it reminded me of like a giant puff ball. But sure. it, it turns yeah, there's out... There's definitely some t- tension. Yeah. And, you know, Mando is trying to keep the peace be- between them, and he's kind of going back and forth and whatever. And it find, it it turns out that the... What is the place that the crate Dragon is sleeping in? An old Sarlacc crate. An abandoned Sarlacc pit, which is a plot point. An abandoned... Because there's no such thing as an abandoned Sarlacc pit. And I'm guessing this is the thing, this is the Sarlacc that was in Return of the Jedi. I don't believe so. I believe Sarlaccs are more of a common thing than just that one that we saw. Because even, well, we need to back up a little bit. To break the tension between Cobb Vanth and the Tusken Raiders, Mando shoots off his flamethrower between both of them and Mm -hmm. just lets it roll for like four seconds. Uh, yeah. But yeah, they, they, they do go back and, and they say it's in an abandoned Sarlacc pit and Cobb Vance says, I've lived on Tatooine my entire life. I've never seen an abandoned Sarlacc pit. So obviously there are, that, that indicates there are multiple Sarlacc pits. Yeah, but the reason I say that this is, one that's, this is one from Return of the Jedi is that kind of explains how Boba Fett got out. Is if a crate dragon killed a Sarlacc and somehow that allowed Boba Fett to survive. That would be my guess. I don't know. No, I think the backstory behind Boba Fett is um, he was actually helped by somebody else that was in there that was being consumed by the Sarlacc and helped him ignite his rocket. So, you know, one of the things with the the Sarlacc pit was you're, you're slowly digested over a thousand years or something like that. Mm-hmm. So is there like a snack bar in, in the Sarlacc pit? I think the Sarlacc kind of wraps you up and tangles you in its whatever web and keeps you nourished or something while it's digesting you. Well, because that was a question I always had is like, well, you're going to, you're going to die by starvation or dehydration well before a thousand years. And you know, what's the lifespan? These aren't all Yodas or Wookiees that are, that are in there. So that was always a question I had. Yeah. But I was under the assumption that the crate, that particular crate dragon ate that Sarlacc. All right. Well, maybe we'll maybe we'll find out. Maybe we won't. But maybe you said we that will. they were using the bantha as bait, but it doesn't actually eat the bantha. Yeah, it eats it eats the other dude. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the great thing about this this episode so far is the wide cinematic shots and the epic music that's being played. As they're you know, I think it happens two or three times in this episode where they show a line of banthas going across the desert, and it and it pulls back. It's the feel of this season so far is very cinematic. It doesn't feel like a television show. Yeah, it's like the scope is very large. And I, yes. I actually wondered with some of that stuff, with some of the exteriors that they showed where it just is this vast expanse of, of sand. And was that an effect or was that something that they, they filmed something actually on location somewhere in, in a desert? Because... I mean, they could have filmed it, and it could have been just a small swath, and then they, you know, put in like a digital mat for the rest of it. But I, I, I'd be curious if they do like the extras, like they did for the first season, sure, to see how they did some of that stuff. Sure, I hope they do. But yeah, they go back to the Tuscan Raider camp, and they make up a, a mock-up, and Cobb Vance says that's not the scale, and Mando's like, it's the scale. Trust me, it's the scale. And then they sprinkle it, which looked like chocolate chips, but they're little pebbles, 
And he goes, cop van goes, what are those? He goes, those are reinforcements. He goes, where are we going to get those from? Uh, we're going to get those from Moss Pelgo. Yeah, volunteered the villagers. And I did not realize until this episode that Nestle was actually founded on Tatooine. Sure. So, With the chocolate chips? Yeah, the chocolate chips, yeah. Chocolate yes. chips callback. Yes. But there's something else that I noticed here, and this is actually when they get back to, I think it's when they get back to, to the village, is there is a small lead display on Fett's armor, on his yeah. breastplate. I did not notice that in any of the films, and I did no. not notice it earlier in, in, the, in the show. So is that something new, or is that something that's always been there? I, you know, I noticed that as well, and I, I haven't taken the time to take a look at Boba Fett's armor. I don't think... I've seen that before, but I, I, I do want to say there was one part and I can't remember where it was, where there was, there was sand people and they were, they were brushing the Bantha's teeth. <laughs> yeah. Just the little details like that. That is just, I mean, just makes this show perfect. So, um, but they're going to get together and they're going to kill the dragon and there will be peace. That is, that is the plan. And they have all these explosives. I mean, they have a ton of explosives that they are loading up on these banthas. Yeah. Well, that's from that's that's how they mine whatever it is that they're mining. Okay. I, I did not know that. That actually kind yeah. of makes sense. But Camp the, Tono. I think that's the ice cream. The Camp Tono. But Camp Tono. Yes, I the, think that's what it is. The banthas are basically. It's just Mr. Snuffleup, I guess. It's there's just a, a shitload of them. Yes. And it, again, we, we're seeing these banthas and all the villagers. Another grand cinematic shot of all these walking through the desert. Yeah, and I, what did you think of their plan that you know to lay the trap and have the dragon go over the trap and blow it up? Um, it was good, but I felt like a better plan would be to load up a bunch of banthas with explosives and let the crate dragon eat those. Yeah, ex- yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. The the guy who had the ice cream maker in Empire Strikes Back is Wilrow Hood. Okay. So, just FYI. FYI. Yeah, so um, so now they're at the cave, and what is Cobb Vanth drinking? Um, uh, he's drinking the, the same thing that he complained about before. Food. Yes, yeah. the rotten. Yeah, and, we, and we've got to get to work. And as they're doing this, it's like the, it, like the A-team getting all their stuff set up. And Mando is kind of narrating what they need to do. And I felt that that was very unnecessary. Yeah. I, I, I thought that the, it was interesting. The, the, they almost look like harpoons off of a whaling ship. Yes. That the Tuscan Raiders had. And when, when you think about it, when you think of what we know of Tatooine outside of the crate dragon, is there really anything that that type of machinery would work for? Mm, I don't know. Because, you know, up until this point, we didn't know that a crate dragon was this bag. We didn't realize, we didn't know that there were multiple Sarlaccs. Uh, I'm sure there's other stuff out there. They're certainly not using them on Womp Rats. No. no and I think, you know, we, we saw Womp Rats very, very briefly in, I believe, the special edition of A New Hope. But it's the first time we saw them kind of in more detail. And they got a little bit of a, a, little bit of a goatee going on on a the Womp bit. Rats. Yes. But the they they try their plan and we find out for the first time that the crate dragon pukes acid. Yeah, well first we have we have you know, they're they're setting up all the explosives and everything and we've got three Tuscan Raiders that go to the mouth of the cave 
and do the, the the call the dragon out, and the dragon comes out. Yeah, and they're shooting the arrows, and yes, it pukes out acid, and basically, I think just dissolves them as the acid. I couldn't tell if it if it killed them or if actually just completely dissolved them. It, it it made them have a bad day. I, I don't know if it completely dissolved them, but I think it, it yeah. was is probably not as much as like the alien acid, but still something that's gonna make you have a very bad day. Sure. And then sure. so, so yeah. lots of stuff happens. Um they kind of do this back and forth where they're trying to they harpoon the dragon, the dragon goes back, they harpoon the dragon, and then finally Mando says, Hey, I'm gonna take care of this. They do the plan they should have done originally, where Mando and a Bantha strapped up with bombs gets swallowed. And then midair, Mando comes flying out, blows the detonator, and the dragon kaplooey. Well, one of the funny things is, is while him and, so him and Cobb Bantha are battling, are shooting at this thing, and Mando says he has an idea, but in order to get Cobb Vanth out of there, he does the same thing that Han Solo does to Boba Fett in Return of the Jedi. Hits something on the back of his of his jetpack to make him fly off all wonky. Yeah, I, I didn't even think about so that way, all, but you're there's right. All, there's it's a little all bit of a callback. Of, of callbacks. Yes. So, um, but the dragon's yeah. killed, so, and so, Mando's packing up some meat to take back. Is that meat really going to st- stay good for? the three-day trip or whatever it takes for him to get back to where his ship is? I mean, how... how it, 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 it's some salt on there. Cure. cure it a little bit. But they, they do find yeah, a, 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 little bit. A, a pearl in the dragon. Do you know where that yes. part comes from? Uh, no, I think it's I think it's new ca- canon um, for this... For Star Wars, and from what I've heard, it's if you don't have kyber crystals, you can use what's inside of that pearl to make lightsabers. It's something along those lines, but it comes from Knights of the Old Republic, which was a, okay. a massively multiplayer online game that was popular for a long time in the Star Wars universe. But that was a big thing: was the 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 pearl within the body of a crate dragon. Okay, and so the. The show's basically over. Mando packs his shit up, and he has his armor. He, well, hold on a second. Yeah, Cobb Vanth gives him the armor. He's like, a deal's a deal. And they both exchange pleasantries saying that they hope their paths cross again. Right. Yes. And? And? Well, then, as uh, Mandalorian is driving away, we see somebody looking up from a high vantage point and it is actor Tamura Morrison who of course was Jango Fett and then Boba Fett in the prequel movies. Well he was not Boba Fett in the prequel movies he was just well no I mean he, he was no but he is he's like Boba Fett is a clone of him so yeah I yes and he did the voice for the stormtroopers in in you know the um the special editions that were released on DVD, so that that's the end of the did first episode of the Marshall. They changed they 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 changed the stormtroopers' voices for the special edition. I in, thought they just changed in the, the Blu-ray releases. 
in the original. Yeah, but those, but the the stormtroopers, the stormtroopers are not clones. I think you've got that. I think you that's mistaken. I don't think because the stormtroopers are in from a new hope on are not clones. Mm, I'll I'll have to check, but I'm pretty sure they had um they had him do the voiceover because. There and no, oh, actually, I'm sorry. You, I believe, are correct. They Just had Boba Fett. they had him do the voice for Boba Fett in Empire Strikes Back. You are correct. I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Yes, that's fine. But so the first episode's that's over. Fine, Anything more on the first episode, or we jump right into episode two? Uh, I, I say we jump right into chapter ten. Who is direct? It's directed by Peyton Reed, who did the Ant Man movies. Okay, so. Kind of a kind of kind of a cool callback that what's in this episode, and there's a lot of them, is directed by the same person who directed the Ant Man movies. Okay, I, I didn't. I I just knew it was like right. Favreau wrote it, but Django, Django, sorry, Mandalorian is cruising across the desert, and the child once again doing the dog thing. He's got his head out there flapping. And we see somebody is setting a, a trap for, and yes. how long would they have to be waiting there? Because there can't be a lot of traffic that is going by here. No. And how did they know that he was coming through there? Unless, you know, world word travels fast on Tatooine and they knew, they know that this is kind of a choke point. So, but they know, I mean, obviously they probably know that Mando is, on the planet, and because every every well, a lot of bounty hunters in, in the guild are still are still looking for him and looking for the child. Okay, I, I didn't even think about um, it from that perspective, yeah. but so, sure. they, so they they string the he's, rope he's, across. He's probably, he's probably yes, he's being watched, and uh, yeah, they string the, the rope across. He gets tangled up in that, goes flying. Speeder bike blows up. My first thought is, holy shit, baby Yoda's gonna get hurt. He goes tumbling across the ground, but Mando ignites his jetpack and lands on two feet, and immediately a battle between these four guys ensues. Right, and this is where so, I was talking about with him being unkillable. Yeah, he, he's getting shot, he's getting hit, he's getting hit, and then he's taking people out, and there is a fight, and at the end of this, this fight, it turns out that there is one guy who has the child at knife point, and then... The Mandalorian just kind of like, hey, there's a lot of good stuff in this wreckage that has a lot of value. Take whatever you want. Just don't hurt the child. If you hurt the child, I will fuck you up. Yes, you can't. There's no place you can hide that I that I won't find you. Uh, so yeah, so the the little guy who I believe we saw in the Force Awakens while Ray was cleaning parts with the old lady, this little dude was kind of like the the overseer of the part cleaning area on Jakku. Okay. Same same species. Um, yeah, so he grabs the jetpack and Mando just beep, 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 and the jetpack goes flying in the air, and you can kind of hear it going back to the left and over to the right, and all of a sudden, eh, little guy splats, and the he lands the jetpack in front of him, and he looks down at Baby Yoda, and Baby Yoda looks up at him, and he just kind of shrugs like, yeah. So Baby Yoda is watching everything that Mando does, but- and is starting to kind of get a little bit of flavor for the violence. Isn't, but here, here's something that I had a little bit of an issue with is, isn't what he did against his code? Oh, so. Because he gave his word, you let the kid go, we have a trade, 
and you can go. And the the guy gave uh, up. And it, it's it's kind of like uh, Honor Among Thieves. He's only as good as his word. Sure. Obviously, the person's not going to be around to rat him out. But I, I just thought that this was interesting that he kind of went back on his word. And on the flip side of this is what happens after the other person's dead. So now it is just the child and Mando. What is the next thing that happens? Well, the credits roll. And it flashes across the Mandalorian. But he is walking and he is taking this long yes. walk. Why does he not use his jetpack? Is his jetpack not strong enough to lift everything that he's carrying? I don't think so. Yeah. Because he's got he's got a second set of Mandalorian armor, he's got all of his weapons, he's got baby Yoda, and he's got the hunk of meat. Okay. So and, and I don't think I don't think the jetpack is going to I think it has a shelf life as, you know, it's not like you can just go sustained flight for two or three hours. Okay. That, and that that's these, possible, but you do see in the next episode where they do use it not for prolonged flight, but for not a short, you know, three second sure. flight. They're, they're doing it a little bit longer. And I'm thinking, I know that there's the Mandalorian code. He's not allowed to take off his helmet, but he's just got to be baking in that armor. Oh, yeah, his balls are sweaty. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he makes it back. He makes it back to Mos Eisley, and they go into the to the cantina. And did you notice around the bar that there were a bunch of IG heads? Yeah, yeah, they're and drink machines. Decoration. No, those are those are part of the bar. That is, if you right. go back and you watch A New Hope, it is exactly the same thing. Those are kind oh, of really? like I did. it's kind of like the um, I don't know if it's the distilling part, but it, it's actually in the 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 cantina in A New Hope. Same thing. Okay. All right. But yeah, he walks in and Pelimato is playing Sabak with this, this ant-like creature. And it says on the credits, Dr. Mandible. And you're like, okay, who's messing around? And then she refers to him as Dr. Mandible. Well, I mean, what is what species is Akbar? Uh, Mon Calamari. It's a little bit on the nose. So it, it, it's not out of yes. the realm of possibility for the Star Wars universe for a name to be that fucking stupid. Right. So this, I, I have to say, that this episode, this is like the weirdest Star Wars thing I've ever seen. It is just weird. And when I was first watching it, I'm like, this is just, all of this is just weird. Because we get into some even stranger characters. But it's, I love it. I was just, I, I, I think I watched this episode three times now. Now, as a bug guy, did you, like, get triggered a little <laughs> bit by the giant bug? No, not at all. Not at all. Someday, someday I will be killed by, by a swarm of insects for all the, the, the carnage I've caused over the years. So, bug, I, yeah, they're, so they're playing, they're playing, they're playing Sabak. This, I believe this is only the second time that we've seen Sabak being played in live action. And the other time was in Solo. Right. But she needs Mando to cover his bet, which is 500 credits. And he's he's got information that will lead him to other Mandalorians. And what does Peli win with? Oh, I can't remember what she, she called you it. Know, idiot something. An, 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 idiot's, an idiot's array. <laughs> so she goes back to, they go back to her hangar. And wait, wait, before a, before you kind of... before you move on, did you see the robot bartender? Yeah, that's the the torturer or the yeah. guy who ran Jabba's. 
Yeah, he was in he was in the, the first season. Yeah, but it is it is the same thing. So I just thought that was interesting. So they're but they're going to meet the contact. At well, it's the also it's it's it, it, it it's also interesting that you hope droids were not welcome in the, the cantina, and now it's being run by droids. It's it's under new management. Yes, yeah. So they go back to her hangar, and there's another type of droid that I think we saw in A New Hope. That's yes, cooking cooking a chunk of meat uh, by a pod racer engine. How is that thing being like? clamp down because those things put out a lot of velocity so that would have to be you know pretty well staked into the ground for it not to just go and shoot shooting off oh they're they're running it at very low rpms oh that could be it too i I don't i I don't know the specs for pod racer engines sure but the the lady has a a passenger that she would trust with with her life and there are some caveats to this whole thing. It's not going to cost Mandalorian, the Mandalorian anything for this other than passage to another system. But the big thing is that he has to tra- travel sub-light. Right. And the reason that he has to travel sub-light is we are introduced to his passenger, Frog Lady. <laughs> That's what it says on the, on, in the credits and on the subtitles. She's referred to as Frog Lady. Yeah, and the person that plays but Frog Lady actually played another character. Actually, I think did the that that was the body for the the character that was voiced by Nick Nolte in the first season. Um, the the Ugnat. The actually the Ugnat was was a female. This yeah. is a dude. D. Bradley Baker is a dude. And no, I'm pretty sure that the person who played the Ugnat was a woman. Yeah, the the person that plays the lizard lady is a woman. It's Rosa something. No, it's D. Bradley Baker. Oh, that's the voice. I'm sorry. That's the. I'm sorry, Misty Rosa. Misty Misty Rosa is is, is D. Bradley Baker does the voice. Okay. My bad. So, but um, her husband. Did you do you understand? Do you, do you understand why they can't go in light speed with eggs? No, I don't. I'm assuming that it has something to do with, like the eggs will explode. I, I'm guessing. It's I have no something, idea. Something to do with like light speed. Going in light speed would normally kill you. I think they're in Star Trek. They're called inertial damper dampeners or something. Okay, sure. That pre- prevent prevent you from dying while going in warp speed. That the, and there's something in Star Wars, something manifolds or something, uh, that prevents you from dying going light speed. But the eggs are not affected by those. So yeah, they would they would turn to mush if you went into light speed. All right. So the the frog lady has this container full of eggs, and he agrees that they're going to. They're gonna. He's gonna take them because the frog lady's husband has seen some Mandalorians. And once they get on the ship and they're moving, hold on, on. yeah, you're you're skipping some stuff here. Okay, Pelimoto talking frog to the frog lady. Yeah, did that not crack you up? No. (laughs) The thing that cracked me up was and Baby Yoda sees was uh, I I was paraphrasing. Okay. Um. Oh yeah, but Baby Yoda sees the eggs and he he's hungry. Yeah, his stomach is, is 
it reminds me of what um, Han says to Chewie in Return of the Jedi about, you know, your stomach's always getting us into problems. It, it is something similar where the fact that the, the child is hungry is a plot point that comes up across multiple episodes. Yes, he's always hungry. But yeah, they're on the ship and Baby Yoda, he's got his face pressed up against the glass of the egg container and it's magnified. And he kind of looks around to see if anybody is watching. <laughs> yeah, so the child knows it's doing something wrong. Right. He's smart. He's not He's he's not an infant. He's He has some brains to him, a little bit. And uh, Mando comes down and catches him eating one. And it's a very Star Wars-y thing to do. Baby Yoda burps. Because there's, there's lots of burps and farts in Star Wars. But the way that it eats the egg, it, it just sucks them down whole. It doesn't eat them. It doesn't like chew yes. them. To, it just sucks it down completely. Right. Yeah, there was a lot of um, traffic on the internet about people that were really disturbed by the fact that Baby Yoda was eating this lady's eggs. Oh, yeah, there's a big controversy about and it. And I really don't... Yeah, I don't really see a problem with it. It's Star Wars. It's fantasy. Get over it. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're going to get go, worked they, up they about go, that... yeah. Yeah, but they go to sleep. Uh, Mando and Baby Yoda go to sleep, and Baby Yoda has a little hammock in in the sleeping area. They shut down, and they're woken up by a, an alarm going off. And what do we see as he comes up to the cockpit? Two uh, X wings. Yeah, defl- defl- he's flanked by uh, an X wing on on either side. And this is something where I thought that one of the things this series really really gets well is is the sound. And it is the sounds. It's like it's the little things. It's the um, the the sound that they have that shows that there is another craft. Is the same sound that was in the original A New Hope when they come up on what's supposed to be Alderaan. It's a do 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 do. A lot of the noises and there is a, a part that's coming up in just a second where the S foils are deployed on the X wings and those sounds are so distinct and they're so recognizable and they use this stuff so well. Right. And that's one of the things that makes this show amazing. But yeah, they, they say that his transponder is not emitting and he says, well, I, I'm pre-Empire surplus. Uh, that's, you know, I'm kind of exempt from that. And basically this is a traffic stop. This is, this is, this is them pull it saying, you know, your, your trap, your, your taillight is not working. He's getting pulled over for driving while Mando. Right. But uh, they say, okay, you know, he's just, he's like, okay, I'll get that fixed. And he, he says, may the force be with you. And they say, and also with you. But then they say, hey, can you send us a ping? Because a ship of your style, or, or what do they say? Um, have you been anywhere near the uh, jail ship, Bothan 5? Yeah, now I, I I didn't understand the whole the whole idea of why they had to send him a ping, but it reminded me of uh, Hunt for Red October. Yeah. Sure, send one ping. Yeah, rest in peace. Rest <laughs> but in peace. you know, at, at this point, Mando decides that he has to run, and he no is... hold on no they they hold on you're again you're skipping something. They're looking for Imperial holdouts, and. They, the one X-Wing pilot says to the other, hey, can you switch over to Channel 2? Which they do, 
and there's silence, and Mando is sitting there, and all of a sudden, that's when that's when the S foils open. Yeah. Yes, and you know, here here's where I and talked he, about before, did. where in they talks very specifically about how the the Republic did not have a presence in the outer rim. They are in the outer rim, and this is the mm-hmm. new Republic. So, is the new Republic a wider swath than the old Republic was? Well, I think, you know, with the old Republic, there wasn't really a military. Uh, Things just kind of governed themselves, and you had slavery on planets like Tatooine, where now with the new Republic, they're trying to clean up the the mess that not only the Empire created, but they created as well by eliminating the Empire, even though there are still remnants of of the Empire. But I think they're, they're trying to be overreaching and trying to do too much. So that's why you have basically two pilots patrolling the outer rim, which okay. is huge. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the uh, the, the possibility yeah. or the chance that he would actually be run into by someone doing a patrol is small. And if he was if he didn't have to travel sublight, it wouldn't have been an issue. Sure. So, but the one pilot says the one pilot actually is is Dave Filoni, mm-hmm. one of the producers and creators of the series, and he says, "We got a runner." And he flies down, and he's 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 cruising through some clouds on some snow planet, um, and the the X-wing pilots say that the ship is going to break apart in the atmosphere. And what was awesome about this was again the sounds of the X-wings, the tracking computers, the the following the the POV shot of the X-wing from the cockpit following the Razor Crest. Yeah, the little details that they do, they get so right, and. The, the targeting computer that shows kind of like a uh, almost like a vector diagram of the cannon mm-hmm. is is the same targeting computer from the the trench run in the original Death Star attack and it, it's the little details like that that they get that are just incredible yes and then they're actually kind of doing a trench run while they're flying through that canyon but yeah he kind of he flies into a cave and crash lands on purpose, and the two X-rays fly by, but the ice cave floor breaks, and he goes farther down into a cave, and they're kind of knocked unconscious, and he wakes up, and there is the frog lady. She's freezing, because she's an amphibian, cold-blooded, and he goes and finds, he's looking for Baby Yoda, and what's Baby Yoda doing? He's chowing down on eggs. Yeah, and we don't really know how many eggs he actually ate. Was it one? Was it two? Was it three? But again, does the very Star Wars-y thing, and he lets out a big burp. Yeah, and... And there's a big gash in the ship. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah, the, the ship, as it looks... And it, it's not just that there's the hole in the ship. It looks like it's bent. Like, it's just cracked. It's all it's all beat to shit. Like, it, I, I would think that it wouldn't be flyable at this point. Right, and it barely is, but yeah, the frog lady, she's bitching, and Mando goes, sorry lady, I don't speak frog. <laughs> but he asks her, he asks her earlier if she speaks Hadiz, and she doesn't. The only thing that she speaks is frog. Well, he could ask so if she spoke sand, you know, per, sand people. It's, right, and her sand people dog. Uh, <laughs> so he says it's going to get cold, but so we need to get, we need to catch some, get some sleep and then figure out what to do when we wake up. And she's pissing and moaning, and then she sees Zero from the jailbreak, jailbreak episode. Yep. And she bypasses its security and accesses the vocabulator, 
and his voice wakes up Mando, and he's immediately he's freaked out that this droid Zero has come back to life. But she basically explains that she's got to get her plant eggs to the only planet that's hospitable to her species. And I, my question is, well, what were you doing on Tatooine? Why yeah. were you on Tatooine? Yeah, that was that. That is actually a really good question. It's like, why didn't you go with your husband, especially if you knew that you know your your line was coming to the your its end? And aren't there other pilots that she could have possibly talked to to get her off of Tatooine before before it was down to you know the last minute? It seems like poor planning on Frog Lady's part. Sure, but uh, she says you know. Don't you follow a code? And that's very disappointing. And I guess that's just stories that they tell the children. And he's like, oh, shit. Okay. So he starts to go fix his broken-ass ship. And Baby Yoda comes around the corners and is trying to get his attention, trying to communicate with them. And this is, I think this is the first or second time that he refers to Baby Yoda as kid. All right. So that's that's what we're going to be calling Baby Yoda, kid, uh, throughout the rest of the series. But the frog lady is gone, and he follows the tracks with the thermal readout on his helmet. Yeah, and this is the POV stuff I talked about before. I thought it was kind of cool how, how they did mm-hmm. it. I thought that it was a little bit wrong because it should have been, it should have varied. So it should have been like the 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 step that's the oldest, which is the step closest to where we are, would have been the faintest, and then it would have gotten successively brighter the further it went along. But still, I thought it was sure. really cool. Sure. So they find her in a hot tub, mm-hmm. in a, th- a thermal pool in the cave. With all, she's naked, and all the eggs are kind of floating around her. And Baby Yoda's like licking his lips, like, "Oh, I just <laughs> want to jump in there and bow on some eggs." Yeah. But what does he find instead? In- instead, he finds uh, a xenomorph egg, or at least what I thought was a xenomorph egg. <laughs> it, and my first thought is when he peels it open, it peels open four ways, you know, the, the four corners. And I'm like, are they doing an aliens crossover here with Star Wars? Yeah, and that had to have been intentional. It was, I'm sure they said, well, we're not going to do a crossover, but we're going to do, because the egg was a different shape, but the way that it opened was very, very intentional, I'm assuming, to kind of give a nod to the alien franchise. Sure. And so, yes, he reaches it. Go ahead. The alien, or the alien, the, the, the child reaches in and is just mowing down on whatever is inside and at the time it actually did not look dissimilar to a face hugger but as we find out it, it's actually not a face hugger it is a spider or an arachnid of some kind right sure so yeah all, all the other pods that are around there start to kind of shake and open up and spiders you know that are about i don't know the size of the, your a hand a, a full grown human's hand start coming around but more and more spiders are coming and they're getting progressively bigger. And uh, Mando's like, we got to get the hell out of here. Yeah, this is not going to be, this is not good. <laughs> and yes. there's hundreds, so the if not thousands spider, of them. Yeah. Yes. The large, the grand daddy of them all, the large spider with the, with the long mouth, sucking mouthpiece. Actually, that is concept from concept art that, a, a giant spider that Luke was supposed to encounter on Dagobah. And that, that concept was done by Ralph McQuarrie. Okay. But yes. the, the frog but actually running, hops at man- some point. It, it, yes. Instead of running, well, the, the frog starts hopping. Tub, she, she, 
to get out of the hot tub, she uses her long tongue to grab her clothing, yeah. like a frog. Yeah. So it it shows that uh, yeah that amphibious nature of of that particular creature. Right. But Mando, he's using his pistol. He's using his little his little grenade bombs. Uh, he's using his flamethrower, and they get to his ship. And I, I, there's a lot of I as I'm watching this the first time, I've got a lot of tension because I'm trying to think. How are they going to get out of this? I mean, obviously they're going to get out of it somehow, but it had me convinced that this was a problem, and this was, I mean, very similar to a horror show. But one of the things, one of the themes of this episode is you had mothers or caretakers that were basically willing to do anything for their... (laughs) the one that they're caretaking. You had the frog lady who was taking care of her eggs. You had Mando that was taking care of baby Yoda. And then you had the giant spider that was trying to take care of its little spiders. Right. And as, as they get into the ship, the ship itself is not safe. So then they get into the cockpit area. And as Mando is trying to close the door to the cockpit, it is very similar to a scene in aliens where they are trying to get into the the car yes and it is is it hicks i think is is trying to close the door and the alien is trying to open it up same thing is except instead of using a gun and getting sprayed by acid mando uses i believe his flamethrower and he's able to get the door closed and now they are sealed in the cockpit but one landed one spider landed on baby yoda's head and frog lady pulls out a little blaster pistol and she shoots the one that landed on Baby Yoda's head. It's like, well, where did you have that thing hidden the entire time? But, uh, yeah, they're going to try and take off. And you're thinking, okay, this is it. They're getting out of here until the big daddy spider jumps on top of the ship. And it causes it to crash back down, causing even more damage to the Razor Crest. And at the this legs point... Are coming through the, co- the legs are coming through the cockpit. And they're they're pretty much... They're doomed. They're, they're, they're in a lot of trouble. And... The enemies, if you will, from earlier become the heroes and all these blasters are are seen or heard. And it is the two X-Wing pilots from before have landed in this cave and are with very, very pinpoint accuracy. Oh, yeah. Blowing all of the spiders off. And then Mando goes outside and they continue to like t- pick off the rest of the remaining spiders. And Mando and the, the two X-Wing pilots kind of have a back and forth conversation. Right, they 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 saw that that he tried saving the jail guard at the jailbreak episode, and then also captured three uh, criminals that had uh, bounties out on them. And he and he ba- basically Mando says, "If I don't take the bounties on those three, am I free to go?" And they're like, "Yeah." And he goes, "Well, shouldn't I be under arrest?" And the one X-wing pilot says, "Yes, but these are trying times." So. The Republic is having a difficult time. The New Republic is having a difficult time getting their shit together. Right. And they, they do kind of screw him a little bit because they do not arrest him. But honestly, arresting him might have been the best thing for him. <laughs> right. They kind of leave him to fend for himself. And in a ship that I wouldn't think would be airworthy or seaworthy, whatever you want to call it. And Mando says, well, I'm going to basically make it so the cockpit is is sealed so that we can actually fly. If you, if you have to take a shit, take one now. <laughs> but he refers to it as the privy. Whereas right. in chapter one, it's referred to as a vac tube. 
Okay. And privy is a, that's a very English way of referring to like a a bathroom. Correct. And we get to the very end of the episode. And what is the last image that we see? We see the Razor Crest basically limping away from the planet. And uh, the child sucks down one last egg. Oh, yes. Yeah, he sucks one. He's he's got one left last egg that he had in his pocket. Yeah, and like you said earlier, there was a there was a, a pretty substantial controversy about this about you know how how much of a terrible creature the child is for eating, and you have to remember these are eggs. This these are not fertilized eggs. These are not embryos. These are just eggs. These are unfertilized eggs that this creature. Right. And some people were saying that it is a, akin to cannibalism. It's like no, he or- he he's not a a frog. Some people were saying, well, this is genocide. If this is the last of her line, this is genocide. No, this is Star Wars. And and this is also the last of her line. It's not the last of her race. It's the la- it's like if if you didn't have any kids and you didn't have any brothers or sisters, that's the last of your line. But it, you are not the last human. This frog lady is not the last frog lady. She right. it, it would be her family line would die. And I don't know in, in frog culture if that's a big thing or not, but I wouldn't think so. No. All right. Moving on to chapter 11. Yep. We are now on to what I thought was, I was surprised, a very, very short episode. Yeah, but one that was the bomb. I would say this is probably one of my favorite Mandalorian episodes that I've seen uh, of the 11. All right. Why? Well, we'll get into that. Okay. All right. But this one is directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, Ron's... Red-headed uh, stepchild, or actually child, but yes. yeah. And she, she actually directed episode four of season one, the, uh, where they have the AS, or the Chicken Walker. With yes. The, um, the village. Whatever. Yes. Yeah, the Rice Patty Village. Right. So very, she's, she's good at directing very water-centric episodes i guess okay right so they're getting ready the first the first thing that we see is the razor crest basically limping through space coming around a gas giant and uh, we see the crest of the the, of the planet trask which is where they need to go and a couple of times he uses the term dak ferrick it's almost, is that Jesus Christ or God damn it or motherfucker? I don't know. But uh, it was used by uh, the blue dude in the first episode of chapter one. And he's going to do manual re-entry. And this is like a re-entry that we've never seen before in Star Wars. Yeah, that was, it's the first time they've ever shown entry into the atmosphere, atmosphere, excuse me, being hot. And it reminded me a lot yes. of the re-entry scenes from Apollo 13. Oh, there you go. Directed by her father. Yes. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> I thought it's a very... Uh, Razor Crest, you need, you need to slow down. Uh, Razor Crest, you, you, you really need to slow down. You know, Razor Crest is a woman driving. You need to slow down. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, the first thing that was funny is all three of them are snoring. It says in the subtitles, all snoring, because all three of them are asleep. And then, of course, they, then they start doing their re-entry. But... Yeah, it's. I mean, it's just kind of a cool shot coming down vertically, and you're seeing the landing platform getting closer and closer and closer. 
and he's going to bring it in nice and easy, and the landing gear fails, and kerfoosh, right into the water. It, it wasn't that the landing gear failed. It's he got to right above the platform, and the engine gave out, and it just kind of flopped down. Uh, okay, that's what it was. But yeah, the Mon Calamari, who's kind of standing there, he just kind of rolls his eyes and shakes his head. You idiots. But then we see what fishes them out is... Do you think that is Imperial Surplus with a crane put on top of it? Or do you think that's the same manufacturer that made the AT-AT AT and put a crane on it and sold it as that? Because there's a couple of them. There, yeah. You can see two or three of them in the background. I would assume that was probably like a post-Empire Surplus that they converted to that. Okay. But, um, right. I mean, very obviously, if not made out of, of, of an AT-AT, it is the spiritual successor to it, at least in a design standpoint from the legs up until a certain point is exactly the same with the crane on, on the top. And, you know, the, it pulls it up out of the water, comes over, puts it on the landing platform. And we see our, our union of the frogs. Right. Frog lady. And in the credits, he's laid He's listed as frog man. And but it's, uh, it's, it's rather touching. Yeah, and th there is a woman that is shown in the shadows. And this was one thing, this particular shot was shown in the trailer for season two. And a lot of people thought that this was actually Ahsoka Tano. And it's not. Yeah, it's it's definitely not. I didn't think it was Ahsoka. Um, I thought it was going to be a Jedi. But it turns out she's not. But yeah, she's played by Sasha Banks, who is a WWE wrestler. Oh, I'm thinking but, uh, of um, Sasha Gray. Different thing. Sorry. She likes it in the ass. Yeah. No. That, that's yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah, okay. But um, there is the woman in the shadows, but everybody needs to eat. And uh, Mando and the child go into this bar. And this Mon Calamari, to me, looked kind of fake. I thought it was it was not a great suit, if you will. Well, none of the Calamari look real. Even Admiral Akbar. In Return of the Jedi, it didn't look very real. Oh, I thought that looked really good. It might have been for the uh, time, but no. He, but he was he was he was told by the Frog Man that he would find somebody in the inn that could take him to to see Mandalorians. Okay, yeah, and so yeah, he orders soup for for the kid, and the Mon Calamari says, "No, seats are valuable. Everybody that's sitting has to has to have something to eat." And he's like, "Well, I can pay you for something more." important i can i can pay you for information and there is what was it that was in the soup like a little octopus and how did it come out of that little hose well you can see they show it two or three times him filling up bowls and every time they they you see that there's like a clump like a book that comes out so each one of those bowls comes with an octopus so is that kind of like uh, wonton soup where you get like the single right. wonton in it, except it, it's a yes. octopus. Right. But yeah, those are the, the, the planet is, or the harbor uh, is occupied by Mon Calamari's and Quarren's. Um, and he, but Mando pays the Mon Calamari for information with Mon Calamari Flan, which Grief Karga pays him with that from, from, Chapter one, so we got to call back all the way to chapter one with the Mon Calamari flat. But yeah, the octopus attaches itself. To, well, it's so cute. 
Baby Yoda is just sitting there with his little wooden spoon kind of digging at the soup and all of a sudden the octopus comes out and attaches to his face and he starts crying and Mando says, stop playing with your food. It was awesome. And he, he just kind of pulls it off of him. And then, you know, of course, oh, yeah. as, as a child is wont to do, it, it, it eats it. And then they end up on this, I guess I would call it a boat. I don't know if there's a different, it's it's a Star Wars-y boat. And That's it is... boat. <laughs> it's the Jedi, and it is um, staffed completely by what was this race again? Quarrens. It's the little are, squid are, face guys. Yeah, they are a seafaring creature, just like the Mon Calamari. It, 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 I was waiting for you know, Curse of the Black Pearl, Pirates of the Caribbean ship to come flying by with uh, whoever plays that dude, um, Johnny Depp. But yeah, oh no, no, no you're talking about Johnny. you're talking about yeah. There's the, a dude. Yeah, no, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, you're right. And it is a Disney right. property, so. It is. But these Quarrens were in Jabba's Palace well before Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, you yeah. see one or two of them in Jabba's Palace back in 83. And, uh, but the Quarren says to them in the end, he goes, yeah, it's a few hours to sail to see other Mandos, but it'll cost you. And we don't really know what it's going to cost him until we find out a little bit later this Quarren says to, to Mando, you ever see a mama core eat? And I don't know if this this creature is living in the on the boat and why it would be living on the boat, but they have to feed it with a, a net full of fish. Yeah, is that kind of like a, almost a um, like a holding cell within the confines of the boat that this creature is in? Because otherwise it doesn't right. make any sense. No, it doesn't. But lots of lots of big, stupid, dumb Star Wars monsters in these three episodes that we that we're talking about, which is great. I love big, stupid Star Wars monsters. But they say to come in and watch them feed it, and they walk over and they they kick the what would you call the thing? Not a bassinet, but what is the it's thing? It's a prawn. That... It's, okay. it's called a prawn. Okay, they yeah, kick but the they prawn knock on. it in. It, it lands right as about he's about to get eaten. The prawn. He Baby Yoda closes it up. And then Mando dives in, and then they close the the top of it, and Mando basically is is drowning as he's trying to stay above the water underneath this grate. Sure, but yeah, it, um, and they're trying to poke at him with with their spears or whatever it is that they've got. And then we see another Mandalorian all of a sudden come flying in and start, start taking care of business. And then we see the other two coming in, and they're all in blue armor, but there's the one that has the markings. markings. And, I, and my first thought was, that's Bo-Katan. That's Bo-Katan. I got really excited. <laughs> and, you know, they, they save Mando from it, and then he says something about the child, and one of them dives in. And they go down and they, they bring the prawn back up and it is bent to shit and they tear like a side of it off and yeah. the, the child is okay. And then we, we see that it's actually three Mandalorians that have shown up. It, it's two women and men and a man. And I'm think this is like sculpted armor. And have you ever seen like uh, the, the Halloween sexy stormtrooper or sexy Darth Vader outfits that have like oh. the, the breast plate yes. thing. Yes. And it, it shouldn't be sexy to me, but it is. It's sexy. Yeah. Cause that's, that's the chick that plays Starbuck in Battlestar Galactica. 
Yeah, Katie Sackhoff. Mm-hmm. And they take off their helmets, and as soon as they take off their helmets, Mando's like, I'm out. And he, he grabs the child, and they leave. Because there is a, a disconnect, and this is a lot of where I asked you with how f- familiar you were with Clone Wars, because the Mandalorian code or lore that's been explained in the show The Mandalorian does not match up one-to-one with a lot of the stuff about like the Battle of Mandalore within the Clone Wars cartoon series. And they are different sects. And they each have kind of like their own different thing. And the way that they talk about Mando is it's like he is almost like a religious zealot. And that's how they see him. Right. Well, she when they take their helmets off, he's he's like, where did you get that armor? Because right. immediately he's thinking... They're oh, not these Mandalorians. Are another bunch of bunch of Yahoos like you know Cobb Van, and she says this armor's been in my family for three generations, and she's, she announces herself as Bo-Katan as uh, from uh, Clan Crazy, and that she fought in the in the purge. We still don't know what the Great Purge is. That's never been explained. I'm willing to bet that at some point this season or next season they'll talk about what the purge actually was and when it occurred because it didn't. It didn't happen in Rebel, or in, in um, whatchamajigger? Clone uh, Wars? Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. But I, and I believe it happened after Rebels. Also. Okay. But yeah. the Mandalorian is, I think he's on a beach at this point, or he's either on a, on a beach well, or on the docks. So there, his, his, his clan is called Child of the Watch. And that's, they were, they're a cult that broke away to establish more of the ancient way of the Mandalorian. Okay. So, yeah, he flies away, and then a really, really cool shot of the ship kind of somewhat out in the horizon, and you see the three other Mandalorians fly away, and the ship explodes. That right. was bitching. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. And, you know, Mandalorian is walking with the child on, on the docks, and all of these people come out, and they're all threatening him, and it's like, you killed my brother, and it's... Well, not, I didn't kill your brother. And then a fight breaks out and the other Mandalorians show up. And I have to say the other Mandalorians really, really know how to fight. Yeah. Well, they're all, they're both, they're all carrying two pistols. First off. But yeah, Bo-Katan says, he didn't kill your brother. I killed your brother. But just how quickly they dispatch with everybody. It is very quick. It is very efficient. It is a little bit less of like the brutal, um, blunt force that Mandalorian is. It is right. It's much more refined. It reminds me a little bit of uh, the difference between like Rocky and Apollo. Is sure. Apollo is like a craftsman. He is a an artist with the way he fights, and then Rocky is just like a blunt force instrument where he is going to beat you by pure power and repetition and that's kind of the difference between the way that they fight with these two groups right yeah no it's he's these three mandalorians in this clan are they're a little bit more surgical uh but they say you know we need your help we can we can point you in the right direction of a jedi uh but trash basically is a black market port where weapons are bought and sold that were and they're trying to recover weapons that were taken from the great purge and use them in taking back the Mandalore. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this uh, is the part. Man- Go ahead. This is the part in my notes where it actually said, 
Mando is says he's returning the child to the Jedi, and I'm like, what? I, You're right. It, I, I thought he was returning them to the other like Yodas, and and then there's a whole what do you know of the Jedi, and there's a little bit of exposition there, and they say that they will help him if he helps them first because they have a job that they need to do. Sure, and he says when she says that she she needs they need to go back and, and retake Mandalore, he says that the planet is cursed. Everybody that go that goes there dies. The Empire couldn't control it so they made sure that nobody could survive there again information that we don't know exactly and she says um something to the effect of this rumors or you have you've gotten poor information right yeah but uh mando for a change does not want to put the child in harm's way so he takes them to the frog's place for, for them to do a little bit of babysitting so he can do his mission with the other Mandalorians. Mm-hmm. And w- yeah. what is it that they want to do? What is their plan? They want to take this Imperial Gozani freighter, which we saw in Rebels. I don't think we saw it in the Clone Wars, but we definitely saw it in Rebels, and we've probably seen it in video games as well. Uh, and they asked how many troopers are on this freighter. Oh, a squad at most. And they couldn't hit the broadside of a Bantha. Once again, using, uh, you know, colloquialisms in the Star Wars universe. And sure. they use their jetpacks. And the whole thing is the the freighter cannot go above a certain altitude until it is out of range of the that the area. The, the harbor. harbor. Right. I don't know why. I don't know if the, the blast of the freighter from its rockets would disrupt the fishing or create a wake that would knock over boats or whatever but yeah they've got they've got to basically skim the lower part of the atmosphere before they can shoot up and they use their jetpacks and they fly onto the freighter and one of the people on the ship says something about pirates again so this is not a new occurrence for them at all Mm-mm. and the captain of the ship is very very familiar we've seen him in a million things and i i love the fact that they are not using their blasters at all. They are doing everything except firing blasters, which in a way doesn't make sense because the stormtroopers are, are using their blasters and they are already aware that they're there. So it doesn't make sense that they're not using the blasters. But at one point, they actually drop a stormtrooper onto the windshield of yeah. this freighter. And you can hear him yell as he slides off. <laughs> and Again, the little things. The little things. John Favreau just, I would love to be... They have that guy's creativity. Yeah, it's it's a good thing to have. Mm-hmm. But he probably they, smokes a ton of weed while he writes these episodes. Oh, I'm sure he does. And but the the Mandalorians, they all eventually they take over the ship, and there is, I I I was shocked they didn't go there because they talk about altering the deal with Mando with Mando, but they don't use the same terminology from Empire Strikes Back with you know. I've altered the deal. Pray I don't alter it any further. It is something very similar. It's in the same vein, but they don't use the same phrasing, which I thought was a little bit interesting. Right. And he was under the impression that they were just going there for weapons, and Bo-Katan's like, no, we want the whole ship. And why do they want the whole ship? Well, so they can use it uh, in their quest for Mandalore. Well, they want to draw Al Sharpton out into the light. Oh, yes. He does not look like El Sharpton. John Carlo Esposito as Moff Gideon, who has the dark saber, who 
So, Bo-Katan's sister, Maz-Katan, I think. Not Maz. No, you're thinking of Maz-Kanata. Yes. She had the Darksaber. And then it went to Sabine. Somehow Sabine on Rebels got the Mm -hmm. Darksaber. And she gave it back to Bo-Katan. But, you know, the guy who has the Darksaber tells the person who is in charge of the ship... You know what you have to do, right. and that but, guy. Right, hold, hold on, you're 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 missing a big part. They're in the cargo bay, and they, the 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 officer who is in charge of, in the cargo bay has the same little communicator that Luke and C three PO each had on the Death Star, the little mm-hmm. white thing. But they he thinks he's trapped them, the Mandalorians, and the, the ship is like, or the captain's like, where where did you trap them? Uh, in the in the cargo control area. What? And all of a sudden the back door opens and they just all go flying out. Yeah, they all get sucked out. Not actually sucked out because it's not into space, but yeah, they they basically get purged out of the ship. Right. And they've got, they open up all these crates and there's all kinds of, there's repeater blasters in these crates. And they look awesome. Those weapons look awesome. And this is where um, the, the guy tell, the guy who has the dark saber, which we saw at the very, very end of the first season of the Mandalorian. Um, he tells the other guy that, you know what you have to do. And he shoots the two other officers that are flying the ship. And he basically puts the ship on a collision course, flying it directly into the water or directly into the planet, one or the other. And the Mandalorians realize what's going on. They have to get up to the cockpit and there are a ton of stormtroopers in a very small area and they are just firing repeatedly. So Mandalorian, using his plot armor, just starts taking shot after shot after shot after shot so he can throw the little discs that are little bombs at them so that they blow up. Yes. So what do you think what do you, what do you think the story is with Moff Gideon? Do you think he's a Mandalorian as well? Do you think you know, we we also have to the Empire wants Baby Yoda. We we've we kind of got away from that, um, and I was really thinking that somehow they were going to use that in the Rise of Skywalker because the, the there were still a couple of episodes of the Mandalorian when Rise of Skywalker was released, or it was the last one, I believe. Yeah, um, I I don't know because it the, the thing about this show, and I was going to get to it after we were done with this episode, is there are so many threads that are going on right now. Mm-hmm. that I don't know where all these threads are going to go. And, you know, we are a we are three episodes into an eight-episode season, and we have had 10 seconds of Moff Gideon. We have had only a mention of Ahsoka. Um, there are so many things that are going on. We know that um, the, the character that's played by the MMA girl is going to come back, um, there's so many things that are out there and there's only eight episodes. It seems like they have all this set up and are they going to pay, be able to pay it off on the back half? Cause we are almost halfway through the season and almost everything to this play to this point seems like setup and it, you want to have a three act structure. You want to have a setup, a playthrough and a payoff. And I'm just wondering, is this way too much, going on to actually be able to resolve any of it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, the, the whole thing with Boba Fett from the first, from ch- chapter nine, 
that may not pay off until season three or season four. It's very possible. Uh, you know, there's stuff from season one that hasn't paid off yet and will probably pay off either this season or the following season. I mean, there's still going to be an episode with Gina Carraro and uh, uh, that's what I was letters. talking about. Yeah. And yeah. it is it, it, when you look at the first season of The Mandalorian, there there were a couple throwaway episodes. Yes. And with the first season, you, you have the option of doing that. And when you look at like a traditional television show, like a Star Trek The Next Generation, which had, what, 32 episodes a season or something ridiculous, you, you have the breadth of time to be able to have those throwaway episodes. Whereas there's so much stuff going on now, I don't think that they have the ability to do that. And that's a, a thing that worries me a little bit is that are they going to have a um, prison break type episode, which I didn't mind, but I thought that it didn't add anything to the larger mythos of what was going on. And with well, a, only I, an eight I, episode I think, a season, you know, you're, you're, you're limited with the amount of stuff that you can do. Well, I think the frog lady episode was, could be considered a throwaway episode. I mean, it was great, but it, it, I don't think it added anything to the story of what's going on. Just like the prison break episode, um, the, the episode where uh, he's on Tatooine. Which time? Then, <laughs> the first time. Okay. With uh, Carlo Calacan. I think that's his name. Uh, where they're going after Fennec Shan. That's now three times I've said that name in this episode. Um, and also then the, 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 the swamp planet where he met the chick and almost took his helmet off for her. Uh, there were three throwaway episodes in that season. We've already had one this season, um, but I mean, let's let's finish up this episode and then dive into it. Okay. So yeah, they 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 get up to the bridge, and Bo-Katan is basically holds a knife to the officer's throat and says, "You're going to help me find Moff Gideon. Um, does he have what I need?" And the officer says, "If you're asking me that question, you already know the answer." And he he takes a lightning pill. <laughs> yes. Somewhat like cyanide, but I think something that electrocutes him rather quickly. Uh, and, and they, you know, the ship is in a deep dive, and just like me and my prime, they pull out just in time. Just in and, time. And, you know, they get to within 15, 20 feet of the, I'm guessing, ocean surface and level out. And at this point, the Mandalorians say, hey, we, we could really use your help. And he said, no, I have my own thing I need to do. And we, this may come back to into play later, which I'm assuming it has to because of the whole dark, dark saber part of it. All of these things will eventually kind of come together. But they say where he can find uh, a Jedi linkage, and that's Ahsoka Tano. It's the first time that she's been mentioned. And uh, if, the, the city of Caladan on the planet Corvus. And if you... If you didn't know, which I already did, I'm assuming you did as well, them saying Ahsoka Tano would have been a holy shit moment if if I did not know that going in. Sure. And, and you know who's playing? Play. Yeah, okay. You do know. Ro- yeah, Rosario, Ros- 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 Rosario Dawson. Mm-hmm. And there was some backlash because um, Katie Sackhoff played the voice of Bo-Katan on Rebels and 
on the Clone Wars. And people were hoping that whoever did the voice of Ahsoka Tano would play Ahsoka Tano. And they, they, they felt like she could hold her own. Mm-hmm. But all she is is a voice actress. Yeah. So and I guess they, they, they needed a heavier hitter. And the the person who does, and I don't know her name off the top of my head, but the, the, the person who does the voice of Ahsoka Tano is actually been pretty cool about the whole thing. And she has, if you just read any interviews with her, she seems very cool about it. She would have loved to have had the opportunity, but she understands why she didn't get it. And I don't know if she would have had the physical chops to be able to do it. And honestly, I don't know if Rosario Dawson does either, but we'll see. And ah- Ahsoka Tano is is someone who, if you watched all of Clone Wars, she started off as a very annoying character. Not a like a Jar Jar level character, but she was very, very annoying in kind of her mannerisms. Hey, Sky Guy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But over the course of the many seasons, she matured and... I know you haven't watched all of it, but you watched the last season of The Clone Wars. And the last season, especially the last, what, four episodes or three episodes that form that last little arc that happens in the same exact time when Revenge of the Sith takes place, is amazing. And that that character came into its own. Also, when she shows up in Rebels and uh, fights Darth Vader at the Sith Temple. Yeah, where uh, Kanan gets blinded, um, he fight he gets blinded by Darth Maul, and that that whole sequence is just every time I, I watch it and, and, and think about it, I get shivers up and down my spine. Um, but that's when she realizes that Anakin is Darth Vader in that episode, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it, that's yeah. A, it's it's a crazy reveal. And the weird thing is, when you think about it, you have Rogue One. You have the entire, you know, original Star Wars trilogy. And Ahsoka Tano is alive during all of this, all this time period, as well as, um, oh, why can't I think of his name? Not Kanan, the other one. Ezra. Ezra. Ezra Bridger. Yeah. And I know Ezra went away with like the giant sea. Space, space whales. Yeah. But Ahsoka was somewhere during this time frame, wouldn't she have been somebody who could have helped Luke, who could have helped um, the the Rebel Alliance? And maybe they will explain some of that. Maybe she was off doing what? Who knows? We, we will see. But um, well, she's got a she's got a bad taste in her mouth because she was accused of blowing of setting off a bomb at the Je- Jedi Temple when it wasn't her, and she left the order. Um, so, but she is. Is she there at the end of Rebels? Does she go with with Sabine to go look for Ezra? Yeah, I believe so. Okay, so we might. I mean, you know, the possibilities are are pretty cool with this series because we are talking about the grand scope of, of the Star Wars universe. That you know, we could end up seeing Sabine. We could end up seeing Ezra Bridger. Maybe not this season, but in future seasons. Yeah, but you have to. Uh, the ghost was in Rogue One. Yes. It was. So, and it was at the, at the end of Rise of Skywalker also. Right. So, okay. And let, let's finish up um, the episode and then kind of like okay. t- d- dovetail back to this. So, okay. so um, he, go, they go back to the, he goes back to the frog's house. <laughs> and there he, there he is uh, because when he left the frog's house, when he dropped off Baby Yoda, 
one of the little tadpoles popped out of the egg. And Baby Yoda was like, oh, hey, okay, this is kind of cool. And then it's grown quite rapidly, and he's playing with it. I was still expecting and him to eat it, yeah, kind of. No, but by now we, so now we we know that Mando understands Baby Yoda, because as they're walking out, he says, no, I have enough pets. <laughs> so they're able to communicate with each other. Man, Mando is quite the linguist. He's a cunning linguist. Yes, he's a cunning linguist. But they they go to the uh, they go to the pier or the dock, and he 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 pays um, Dime Store Admiral Akbar for the repairs, and the Razor Crest is still beat to shit. It's it's in the cockpit. It's being held together by nets and ropes. <laughs> and and there, there's a crab on the ship, and Mando grabs it, and then of course the child eats it. <laughs> Right. I don't know if that's a crab. It's like an it's like an octopus hybrid crab. Uh, well, you know, I, I'm I'm using Earth terminology here. I don't. I mean, it it kind of looked crab-ish, if you will. Sure. Sure. So we're done with the third episode, and now we have where Mando and and the child are going. They're going to find Ahsoka. And at, at what point does Ahsoka show up? Does she show up in episode four? No, I don't think so. I think I think something something is going to happen that it's going to be like a throwaway episode that sidetracks him before he gets to um, what's the name of that planet, Corvus. So, and I've heard that I've heard that planet name before. Yeah, it's been brought up before. Up. I, I I can't think of where, but I know it's been brought up before. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I I think that I've enjoyed the three episodes. So far, um, and it is a thing where, I mean, you may not remember this, but I remember telling you this was when I sat in the theater two days before your wedding at the midnight showing of Revenge of the Sith and the pinhole pinhole wipe to directed by George Lucas came up. I was done. I was happy. It was I was good. I was happy that I had experienced all of the Star Wars I was going to experience in my lifetime. Because at that time, I thought it was done. That was going mm-hmm. to be the end of it. And I I did not love the subsequent things nearly as much. And, you know, Revenge of the Sith, or not, sorry, Rise of Skywalker. And Rise of Skywalker was the only one of all of the Star Wars films I didn't see at least twice in the theater. Uh, I think I saw it twice in the theater. I saw Last Jedi three times in the theater. But yeah, Rise of Skywalker twice. And, you know, Mandalorian is... I'm, I'm really excited to see where it goes. I'm really, really excited to see the Kenobi series if it ever actually happens. Because right. I think even the people who hate the prequels think that um, Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan was one of the standouts from that series of movies. And I think that it is something that is either going to be really, really good or really, really bad. Yeah. Um, and then the, um, the other series that they're going to be coming, that they're doing 
uh, with the dude from Rogue One and the KS two O. Caster Ander or something like that. Cassian Ander. Yeah, Cassian Ander. And then also, I believe there's a a, a female director that is just got greenlit to do another series on Disney that probably won't be out for three or four years. But the rumors are that it's going to be Old Republic based. Because I don't think they're ever going to do anything with what happened between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. I think that period of time is going to be handled by comic books. I don't think it's ever going to be, we're ever going to see any of that on film. So you're talking movie wise. I mean, movie wise, yes. I, I think we're you know we're 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 catching this this five this period five years after Return of the Jedi, and, and as you know as far as many chapters as this goes, forty chapters, fifty chapters, whatever. I don't think we're going to see anything beyond this that fills in those gaps between this and The Force Awakens. Because you have um, you have Rian Johnson who was supposed to have his own trilogy, and then you yes. had the the Game of Thrones guys. Uh, that were supposed to have their own trilogy, and as far as I know, both of those are dead. Correct. And I, I think that they just don't know where they're going to go with it. And from purely from a monetary perspective, I can't imagine them not going back into the theatrical portion because that's you know almost each time it's a billion dollars that you're potentially bringing in. I, I can't imagine them not going back to that well. And I I think that the way that it's been handled is awful. Um, and they need, it, it's like Dave Filoni should have Kathleen Kennedy's job. And oh, I, yes. And I think if he did, it would be fucking amazing. Cause if you look at what he's done, um, I think that would be great. But I just think that I, I don't know if they're ready to do that because who, who cares what the fans think? Who cares what I think? Um, you look at it purely from a business perspective where, Star Wars after the Force Awakens was could have done anything and it any movie they released was going to make a billion dollars and that was proved when Last Jedi came out because anything was released as a Star Wars film and it made a billion dollars but the the backlash after that Solo if Solo had come out after the Last Jedi it would have made probably 3 times as much as it did mm-hmm. it just people were so turned off by it that they they walked away from it. And I think that the Mandalorian has brought back a lot of the goodwill from people, but where does it go? And I, I, I honestly don't know. Yeah. I honestly, I think they're grooming a lot of these directors that are directing these episodes, of Bryce Dallas Howard, most notably to do a feature film because this episode and, and the two previous episodes like I said before, very cinematic, very. My my idea of the Mandalorian is I'm I basically just watching eight parts of, a, of an awesome movie. Yeah, and and that makes sense. So, um, you have anything additional on? I do not on these three. So I do not. So we'll be we'll be doing chapter 12, 13, and fourteen, uh, three weeks from now. Right, and then. We will have a the last two episodes because we we're doing we we changed it we were gonna do three three and one, and yes. <laughs> we changed it <laughs> to three three and two so we didn't actually skip the the last episode of 
the season. So do you, why don't you go ahead and just kind of give the, the plugs and all that kind of regular stuff and I'll shut up. All right. All I got to say is may the force be with you. Okay. Matt. Yeah, I'm here. (laughs) May may the force be with you. Oh, and also with you. (laughs) Thanks everybody. All right. See you later.